I wanted to start today's sermon with just a word of hello to anyone who listens to the Pomona Valley Church podcast, but for whatever reason doesn't join us live for our gatherings on Sunday. One, we are so glad that you are here and listening along. And two, I thought that one thing I might do before we get into the substance of the sermon is explain how this sermon fit into our overall gathering, because I didn't actually start our sermon with the sermon. We started in breakouts. As you know, we're a church on Zoom and we're a small church. And that means we have a lot of our time devoted into community and conversation. We began this sermon, first of all, by being in breakouts of about six folks. In the breakout, people read the passage that we'll be exploring today, which is Exodus 1, verses 11 to 22. And then that group together offered up wonder statements that came up for them as they read the passage. A wonder statement is simply a sentence that begins with, I wonder. And finishes with something the person has noticed about the biblical text. It doesn't have to have an answer. There's no right or wrong. It's simply the things that bubble up. After around 10 minutes or so of this kind of wondering exploration, we came back together as a church group. And each of the hosts who facilitate our virtual tables offered up just a bit of a summary of the things that came up that people wondered. And then we dove in. Exodus 1, 8. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel outnumber us now and are stronger than we. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us. Then they'll escape the country. So this is sort of the preface to our story. And it gives us a clue about the setting. The where of our story is ancient Egypt. But particularly important for us is that the where of our story is also an empire. Empires work a certain sort of way. They see power in a certain sort of way. They want to control. And one clue we have that we're in an empire is that simply the fact that Israel is fruitful makes them a threat. They're doing well as a community, and that scares an empire. Empire is a really important theme, not only in the Bible, but for any of us who want to look out at our world with God's purposes in mind. Because collective flourishing threatens the empire. It's not a common good sort of place. It's a get what's mine place. Empire is also a life-taking place. And that's where we begin the passage today in verse 11. The Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pitham and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless about their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. Empire is a life-taking place. We see it both literally in verse 16, the last that I read, 
but also metaphorically before that, as the Hebrew experience is described. Egypt is the opposite of Eden. And that's the where of our story. Now, when we consider the who of it, we find ourselves with two Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah. Look, I know what you're thinking. Another sermon about Shifra and Puah. I mean, we get it. Can't we explore the stories of someone like David or Joshua for a change? I mean, we just always hear about the Hebrew women from the times when Israel was powerless. Why can't we study the men from when Israel was thriving? Hmm? Now, we really don't know much about Sephra and Puah. We know that they are midwives assisting with births. So they have a specific job, and it has put them proximate to this situation. It seems likely that they're Hebrew based on their name, but it is unclear in the wording if they are Hebrew midwives or the midwives to the Hebrews, meaning that they might be Egyptian women. Similarly, their names are a bit ambiguous. On the one hand, they might be two literal women. On another hand, their names might be a stand-in for the midwives as a community. They might be symbolic. They might be both literal and symbolic, and we're not totally sure. In fact, these are some of the very things that people in the church raised through their wonder statements. But what we know is that because they are named, this is who we are meant to attend to. We know their midwives, and we know their names. See, literally no one else is named in this story. Not Pharaoh, not the princess to come in chapter two, not Moses's father, mother, or sister. Moses himself isn't actually named until the very end of chapter two. And these verses are sort of the beginning to that Moses story. Not even God has named themself yet. But we know Sifra and Pua. We also know the what of our story. In verse 17, because the midwives feared God, They refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live, too. They let the baby boys live. In other words, in this place of ancient Egypt, these two women, Sifra and Pua, have let the boys live in an empire that is taking life away. These two women have found a creative form of resistance. They have ignited a life-giving act in a life-taking empire based on the specific job they happen to have that puts them proximate to this situation. They align with God's creative dream. They choose Eden over Egypt. In verse 18, it says, The king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They're more vigorous and have their babies so quickly we cannot get there in time. All right, this answer is brilliant. The prejudice of Pharaoh will mean that he sees Hebrews as barely more than animals. Collectively, that is their lot in this society. And the midwives use that prejudice against him. Oh, you know those Hebrews. The babies just plop right out of them. I mean, like a calf from a cow. What can we do? And Pharaoh hears that and is like, oh, they drop babies like the beasts? Yeah, that tracks. So God was good to the midwives, says verse 20. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, God gave them families of their own. They defy the king and lie to him. 
And God does not seem to mind because they act for the sake of life based on their fear of God. I appreciated one commentator who noted that once you are dealing with oppression, suffering, and injustice, you are not beholden to the powers. You're beholden to who God is and the life God will want. Sifra and Pua are really significant in this story. We're meant to attune to them, but their actions are not rooted in their own moral fiber, in their personal courage. Their actions flow from their fear of God. Their fear of God motivates what they do and allows them to overcome any version of being afraid of Pharaoh. And out of this comes Moses. The story is not, once upon a time, there was a boy named Moses. Rather, the story is that once in an empire called Egypt, there were two women named Shifra and Pua. Because they let the boys live, an unimaginable life was born for all Hebrews. Now, because empire is going to empire, the story does not stop with this act of resistance rooted in the fear of God, but we'll get to that. For now, I want us to see that Shifra and Pua's actions, they are based on who God is and who they've chosen to trust. Who is this Yahweh? Though Yahweh has not named themselves yet, Yahweh is the God whose ways lead to life who resists empires because the dream is Eden, where life is shared and stewarded, not built on suffering and scarcity. And so as we close, I am just going to review very quickly, one more time, the who, what, when, where, and why of this story. And I'm going to invite us to consider some of the ways we might see these themes around us now. The win of the story is ancient Egypt, a really specific Time, place, and culture. What are some of the markers of your time and place and culture? The where of the story is an empire. A life-taking, creation dream opposing kind of place. Where do you see empire at work in the world today? The who of our story is Shifra and Pua midwives, with a specific job that put them proximate to this situation. There are also women in the low-class working group. Who might that be now? The what of our story is that they let the boys live too. An act of creative, life-giving resistance. Where are you seeing creative and life-giving resistance happening Is there any form of creative, life-giving resistance you have felt a pull to and might need to explore more deeply? The why of our story is because they feared God, they refused. How might we, like Shifra and Pua, refuse because of who we trust? How might we find Shifra and Pua, people who are already bringing life and refusing to cave to the empire, and join them or support them? May our life-giving God, who starts the story with Eden, abundance, partnership, 
and flourishing. Help you find the ways that you are invited into creative, life-giving resistance. May the Spirit of God ignite your imagination for what that resistance might look like and embolden you to take courageous next step towards it. And as you do, may our God be glorified. May our siblings in this world flourish. And may you sense, well done. Amen.